0: Welcome to the Rich Roll Podcast, episode 24 with Chris McCormack. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. My name is Rich Roll. If you're new to the program, and I suspect we might have a few new subscribers. Given the high profile nature of uh, today's guests, which uh, I'm very excited to bring to you. And I'll get into that in a second. But uh, just a little bit about me. My name's Rich Roll again. I am an ultra distance triathlete. What does that mean? It means that uh, I like to go long, really, really long, longer than Ironman. Uh, why? Probably because I'm not very fast. Uh, but that's the subject of another podcast. Uh, I am also a best-selling author. I wrote the book called Finding Ultra, which came out last spring. Uh, It's been an amazing journey uh, traveling around with the book. The book's done very well. If you haven't uh, heard of it, you can pick it up on Amazon. And as a matter of fact, the paperback uh, drops on May 21st, and it's up on Amazon for pre-order now. So, If you can uh, go to Amazon and pre-order it, you'll be the first person to get it. It's cheap. I think it's only like 10 bucks or something like that. So if you've been holding out uh, because the hardcover is out of your price range or what have you, uh, now's the time. Uh, We actually have an Amazon banner ad at richroll.com. So it would help the show out tremendously uh, if you're going to buy my book or you're going to buy anything on Amazon to go to richroll.com. On the podcast page or the blog page, you'll see the banner ad on the right hand side. Click that, which will take you to Amazon and buy whatever you're going to buy that way. And it throws a few pennies in our jar, uh, which we use to keep the podcast flowing. It won't cost you a single penny extra, but it'll help us out. So it's a great way to support the show. Um, As a matter of fact, you can, if you have an Amazon sort of hyperlink, Uh, In your browser menu, you can just swap out that link with the one on our site, and that way you don't have to think about it anymore. And, hey, you can feel good about uh, supporting what we're doing. Uh, We also have a donation button up on uh, the website as well, which uh, if you're feeling good about what we're delivering to you, uh, it's just another way to support the show. You can do a monthly subscription or a one-time deal. Uh, It's up to you how much you want to give. And the bottom line is you don't have to do anything because we will always provide this podcast to you for free. It's absolutely for free and it will always be for free. But uh, if you're inclined to be supportive, that's a good way to do it. And we appreciate it a lot. In fact, I've been flabbergasted uh, with the amount of support um, that's come through, through the Amazon purchases and through the donation button. And believe me, it uh, does not go unnoticed, uh, it means a lot to us uh, that people will are going out of their way to support what we're doing. And it makes me feel good about what we're doing and just more motivated than ever to keep it going and turn it into a, a real professional thing so I can continue to bring you great guests and great content, uh, which is really what I'm all about. Um, I've had more fun doing this podcast than I ever expected, and uh, if I could just do this all the time, (laughs) I would be a happy camper. It's been really, really fun. So what else about me? Uh, I'm a plant-based nutrition advocate. Uh, That's a long way of saying that I'm a vegan. Uh, It just means that basically I eat plants, nothing with a mother, nothing with a face. I'm all about uh, repairing health through incorporating more plants into the diet, and a lot of the uh, guests that I have on the show and the subject matter that I kind of tackle and, and grapple with has to do with nutrition, repairing your health uh, in a long-term, sustainable way. Uh, I have a big passion for that, uh, and that's a big part of what my book is about if you haven't checked it out. Um, what else? Uh, I'm a recovering attorney. I am a holistic lifestyle entrepreneur. Uh, what does that mean? It means I'm unemployed, I guess. No, it means that uh, I'm passionately pursuing different avenues to put this healthy message out to the world. And that means I blog, I podcast, I'm working on a second book. I do a lot of public speaking and motivational speaking. If you listen to my last podcast, you know that I just got back from Charleston, South Carolina, where uh, I was fortunate enough to meet students there who have to read my book as part of their freshman curriculum, which was amazing um coming up i'm going to be in worcester mass on april 14th for the worcester veg fest so if you're in the vicinity i'd love to meet you come by uh i'm speaking in the afternoon uh that day i believe at like 3 15 i'm going to speak for about an hour and then do a meet and greet and sign books so if you're in boston worcester that general area i would love to meet you come on by and uh Show me the love. Um, Also, I'm going to be in Ottawa, Canada the following weekend uh, for Plant Powered Ottawa. And I think that event is sold out. But uh, if you want to learn more about it or maybe there's a way to squeeze yourself in, go to plantpoweredottawa.com to find out more. My goal with this podcast is to share the people and personalities that I've met along this path to wellness over the past couple of years. Uh, inspiring voices, uh, people that have motivated and inspired myself to push the boundaries of my own uh, personal potential, my health, my athleticism. People that have inspired and mentored me, informed me, and fortified me uh, with the tools that have allowed me to kind of do the things that that I've done. Forward-thinking people, uh, on the whole, you know, paradigm-busting personalities and minds in the fields of health, wellness, fitness diet, nutrition, business, and entrepreneurship. So I've had doctors on, I've had nutritionists, trainers, I've had world-class athletes like our guests today, uh, entrepreneurs, like I said. And the, the idea is hopefully to educate and inspire and empower you so that you can become your best, most authentic self and unleash your own personal power upon the world. And if you can do that, the world is your oyster. Um, Today's guest, let's get into that a little bit. Chris McCormick, affectionately known around the globe as Macca. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already completely familiar with who this larger-than-life personality is. He really needs no introduction. Uh, He has dominated the sport of triathlon for as long as I can remember. Um, I think he's one of the most winning, if not the most winning triathlete uh, in the history of the sport. He's won the Ironman World Championship twice. Uh, I think he's won 12 Ironman. He has 12 Ironman victories under his belt. Could be more by now. Uh, Five-time international triathlete of the year. He's dominated the sport at every distance from sprint and Olympic all the way up to Ironman. And he's also a very Uh, like I said, larger-than-life personality. He's got a lot of vim and vigor. Uh, He's very passionate about triathlon, and he's not afraid to speak his mind, which I think over the years has gotten him into trouble a few times uh, because he he does tend to be outspoken, and and he calls it as he sees it, which is refreshing to me. Um, I love the guy – uh, he was really fun to sit down with and was very candid and open. And I got to tell you, like, I met him a couple years ago. Uh, he happens to pass through uh, my area where I live generally generally in the spring or the summertime for a couple weeks or maybe a couple months here and there. And I've had the good fortune to be able to train with him a little bit and spend a little bit of time with him, usually in the pool. Uh, and he's been a great training partner he's always full of positive energy and very very helpful and he'll always you know get a crowd of people to train with him and he's always you know the biggest cheerleader in the pool and we always have lively breakfast conversations afterwards and and i really look forward to uh, when he's in town to have that experience uh, i don't take it for granted um and I got to tell you, I was like nervous to sit down with the guy, even though I know him a little bit. Uh, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to interview Maca. It's a big opportunity for me and for the podcast. And despite the fact that I you know know him a little bit, I was like, what am I going to ask him? You know, How's this going to go? Uh, and uh, he could not have been cooler. And I think that this is going to be a phenomenal experience for you guys to listen to what he has to say. Uh, it was a really fun interview, and our mutual friend Aaron Franklin, who sat in on the interview, who's known Maca for a long time, said, "You know what? I have uh, known Maca forever. I've listened to th- basically every interview he's ever given. You know, hundreds and hundreds of interviews, and he and this thing is pure gold. Like this is one of the best interviews I've ever heard with him. Heard with him. So that was really good to hear uh, that early feedback, and hopefully you feel the same." Um, and it would be great to hear what you think by leaving a comment uh, at richroll.com on the podcast page. Uh, let me know what you think about the interview. Uh, also, it means a lot to us when you guys take a moment to go to iTunes and give us a five-star ranking and maybe throw a comment up. That helps a lot with the uh, with this sort of algorithm of iTunes, which gives us a better profile and helps us grow our listenership. and. Really, that's all I ask. Tell a friend, throw a comment up, and we'll keep doing what we do for you for free. How about that? Is that a deal? So uh, all I can say is Macca does not disappoint. Macca is Macca, and he's in rare form today. We talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about the history of triathlon, his respect for the history, where he sees the sport going uh, in Olympic distance and in Ironman uh, and I, th- I thought it would be good because I've heard a lot of interviews with Makatoo and I've kind of heard all the stories and I know what the spiel is and I didn't want to tread over that ground that, uh, we've all heard so many times. If you're a fan of, of this guy, like I am, I wanted to know more about kind of how he makes it work on a daily basis. You know, we kind of project onto him this idea uh, he's, you know, oozing with talent. He's traveling the world. He's winning all these races. It looks very glamorous and, uh, and it looks easy, you know, for him, but, you know, he's also, uh, a guy with problems just like, like we have, you know, he's got three kids, he's married, he's away from his family quite a bit. Uh, and he has to kind of grapple with that and make it all work to make his life run properly. And, you know those are challenges I think that we can all relate to. you know how does he get his training in when he's traveling so much? You know how does he keep his marriage functioning and his relationship with his kids intact when he's gone so much? um you know real world problems that we all kind of you know have to deal with and and grapple with if you if you're married or have kids and and also, you know I think that we also look at him and say well it's it's easy, he just wins all these races, you know he's so talented. But, you know, he's had his setbacks as well. You know, he tried to make the Olympic team twice. It didn't work out. And it took him years and years and years to kind of crack the nut on on the Ironman World Championships and win that race. Uh, and so he kind of walks us through all of that and how how he makes it work for him. And it's fascinating and illuminating and, of course, very entertaining. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go That's gobrewing.com, and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. Well, let's get into it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Maca, Chris McCormick. Man, this is fully kitted. You like it?
1: <laughs> We're pro here, man. I, I sound like I'm in a radio station. Yeah. i got to pull this thing a bit this way what do
0: you need oh yeah that that's gotta go there we go yeah perfect
1: cool right on man you're the voice child i can sing a song and everything
0: here yeah we're already recording too oh are we we're on hello we can, everybody we can, we can stop and start again <laughs> if you want okay you tell me what oh we are on we're definitely going we're going
1: oh how are you mate yeah good how are you doing pretty good i'm at your beautiful
0: abode yeah thanks for coming yeah. by the garage it's was, i'm always here I'm to all... the po- i know you're here you've been here quite a bit actually yeah this week we it's did a in. we did a video shoot a
1: photo shoot at your house sportoga sportoga Riding past your place, picking you up
0: for bike rides. That's right, man. Yeah. You make it sound like we're hanging out more than we are, though.
1: Man, you just, you just don't <laughs> answer my – you won't answer my phone calls. Oh, yeah, train. that's it. You sleep in for we swimming. We broke up.
0: <laughs> we broke up. I did oversleep today. Yeah. But, uh, no, it's been fun getting in the pool with you a little bit. You've been doing more than me. I've had this broken no, hand. No, 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 no. No. You're a good training partner. When I'm in L.A.,
1: you're a good training partner. Yeah, it's good.
0: You know, are we going to tell uh, people about the big secret about training around here? Mate, it's terrible. Yes, you don't want don't to ever come. come to Los Angeles and train. It's just concrete and steel. That's right. It's Pico Boulevard and yeah. Lincoln, and it's terrible. There's nowhere to ride your bike and nowhere to run. The riding here is some of the worst riding I've ever done, and the running is all on concrete. Terrible. Yeah. When Late. you see the and when you see all those guys on the Garmin team and the Team BMC out there, what are they thinking? Well, they come here, here. They come here for their training camps, but it's predominantly they hit the nightlife and uh, the restaurants. <laughs> you can't train here. <laughs> You've been coming to this area for a couple, you know. Uh, several years now at this point you pretty much come here every spring or summer for a stint
1: i, I find training in california in los angeles in particular my favorite training ground in the states you know uh, it's easy flight from sydney i'm back home in australia so you get the direct mm-hmm. flight into los angeles and and when you get out here it's a shock you know all jokes aside the the bike riding some of the best riding in the world you have so many options the hills are here you have the valley uh, you know, in the middle of summer, you've got the heat in the valley. So if you're preparing for hot weather races, it's, uh, you can access that heat and you can pop back over the Santa Monica ranges onto the PCH Mm -hmm. and the temperature drops 30 degrees. It's spectacular. So it's become a a real solid training ground for me. And, uh, I think it's my seventh year here. I moved up from San
0: Diego to Los Angeles and I've never looked back. Right. Yeah. It's, it is pretty epic. And I think, most people don't know because we are on the outskirts of L.A. I mean, we're a good 45 minutes to an hour, depending on traffic from Santa Monica or Hollywood. Yeah. And it's a little bit too far out of town for most people to live who are kind of commuting every day. I mean, I do it. I'm used to the drive and all of that. But um, and I lived in town. I lived in West Hollywood and I lived in Santa Monica for years before I even ever came up here. I didn't even know this existed up here. When yeah. I came up here. I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know. <laughs> Oh, and I'm out on these remote trails running, and I'm, I'm thinking, why isn't everybody up here? There's I, nobody up here. I, I had the same experience
1: years ago. I was living in San Diego because it was the triathlon mecca, and um, you know, you come as an Australian across. It seems to have shifted to Boulder a bit, but mm-hmm. back in the day, it was San Diego, San Diego, San Diego. And I had a friend move up here to Santa Monica, and uh, he's like, "You've got to come up and train. It'll blow your mind out in the valley." And and I was like. Los Angeles, right. you know, there's 20 million people in that city. I, I can't even imagine getting out on a bike. And I, I came up and he brought me out here through Calabasas and, uh, you know, up through Westlake and, and I was blown away. Just the, the options available, available mm. for riding and running which I don't think San Diego has. You're very limited in your bike riding in San Diego. Well, you got to get through all the traffic lights and all that kind of stuff to get to the good riding there. Yeah, well, you're straight out here. So we moved up through Calabasas, like you said, got out of
0: Santa Monica, came Mm -hmm. up this way. You walk out the door, one set of traffic lights, and you're done. Right, right out your back door. All we need is a 50-meter pool here, and I think it would become the next boulder we can build it well now
1: yeah we should if, if you build it they will come
0: uh, right right get all your uh your business partners oh. out here and put some deals together yeah man. let's pull that off anyone out there what you are the a wheeler thing? dealer man you're doing all sorts of stuff i want to i want to talk about the the mx12 and the video series and the kind of online community that you're building it's it's really interesting and i think it's really forward thinking and, and you know aaron who's sitting over here has been tell me all about it and uh, you guys shot that yoga video here the other day so so what's the, what's the story i think you know
1: i think with social media everything coming out i was right on board with that because i felt for me as an athlete coming through this sport that a lot of people's perception of me before social media was given through what other people had written about me i used to read some of the magazine articles and think man i'm not really like that but they really created this uh this character that was me—that in what respect, like what do you? I just—I like, used the to read smack think, talking kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I, 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 I did like to do the smack talk, but I used to read this stuff that I was arrogant, and uh, I'm like, man, I'm not arrogant. I'm competitive, or I'm passionate, and uh, you know, a lot of people's perception was skewed because I felt like I never had the opportunity to explain to a lot of the amateurs out there. They just really got a got a snapshot of who I was as a as a person and an athlete through what other people had written about me, and then mm-hmm. social media came along, Twitter and and Facebook. And I saw that as a wonderful opportunity for, for me to present me um, what I was like and who I am. And that really softened people's perspective of of who I was. And off the back of that, you know, you started to build a community through your social media networks. And a lot of people started to connect with you. And, and the, the talk was, hey, you know, what are you doing that's different? And I teamed up with Aaron, who I've known for a long time. He's a Kiwi boy living out here in LA. And and we decided to bring out a product, which was a digital product. No one in triathlon had ever done that and just gave me the opportunity to explain to people certain sessions I'd done in my career, you know, things that had worked for me. And we, we sort of tapped that together as a bit of a fun, you know, a fun exercise. And it was really warmly received. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's sort of gone from there. We created the X community and uh, basically it was an opportunity for people to 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 ask questions. I felt like a lot of the coaching here was very expensive and and a lot of the stuff, if we could build a community in the same way that I'd done it throughout my career in the sense that when I came to Los Angeles, I'd I'd land in a town, I'd plug in, I'd start training with guys like you, I'd leave, Mm -hmm. you know, you sort of have your connections here. I'd leave Los Angeles, I'd go to Boulder, the same thing would apply. I'd leave Boulder, I'd go to Europe, the same thing would apply. I'd have my friends and the groups I could train with. I figured, why couldn't that be the same? With amateurs, we all train. We just right. needed to create a team or a group of people that were friends and and helped each other, and and we sort of developed that with Macorx and and we've got you know six hundred athletes around the world, and we're starting to see that happening. I did a run in Santa Monica with seven or eight of our members the other day and it's Mm -hmm. it's really really cool where it's very organic it's growing and it's uh i think uh something i'm proud of and
0: i think it's also really true to the spirit of triathlon you know in the sense that triathlon is the only sport where the pros get to compete in the same race at the same time as as you know the amateurs and the pros are together and then to be able to you know extend that relationship to you know, your online community and being able to meet up with these people and develop a a real relationship and a bond. And I've been on the site and I've, you know, seen the community and all of that. And I did that spree cast yes. with you, you know, and you've got passionate followers who, and they're psyched. I mean, they're so psyched that they feel like they have this kind of unique access to you and can pick your brain and, and you, you know, make yourself available to them. Yeah. And the other thing I want them to rely on each other and, and, and motivate each
1: other. I think that the great thing about that, our sport is that we all tend to be relatively motivated individuals. We're looking for a challenge. So we all share that common, I think common characteristic but I think all of us are, are looking to motivate and, and help each other and within our community and you saw a lot of the, the athletes we have in the community all different abilities mm-hmm. they're really helping each other and we, we give away prizes and awards for mm-hmm. people who pay it forward basically athletes within our community are helping other athletes in the community it's been very organic and I like right. that's a word I like use a lot but it's it's Far surpassed what I expected it to be so quickly, and and the people we did a we did a spreecast last night, which was a it's like a, a video conference with a lot of the guys. I sit in very much like a podcast, and mm-hmm. a lot of the athletes. Come in, and we talk to them on the computer screen, and they ask their questions. And and everyone, you, you're starting to see the chatter around the spreecast on the on the screen. They're, they're friends, which is what right. we were hoping to achieve. They're all asking when we're going to do a end of season camp together, and they're planning awards dinners. And uh,
0: well, they saw. I think on you was it yesterday on YouTube? They put a uh, a YouTube video up so, uh, where they someone collected all the happy birthday songs together from all the people that are members of the. Yeah, community.
1: they they did that on their own yeah, merit. Cool. I was I was blown away. Yeah, they all mm-hmm. sung me happy birthday uh oh, you're that, such
0: an arrogant i'm sorry
1: <laughs> <laughs> but no i it's it's it, they're a really cool crew i'm really you know really proud of it you know it was a, a you know sitting down with aaron a year ago driving to wildflower who we were discussing this and uh you know he, he uh he came up with this idea of hey why don't we sit in front of a video you're, you're doing it all the time and and, and start helping people digitally. It's very mm-hmm. difficult to access individuals, but if we put out something that allowed them to download and
0: watch, then it could be very, very successful, and that was MX12. Right. And so it started off with basically a Facebook community, like a closed Facebook community, and then this series of videos, the 12 kind of training videos, and, and what's the next phase? Like where is this going? Like where is it going to be in a year from now? Like how do you continue to build on what you've done today?
1: Well, we... We left it, the, the thing we, we wanted to make very clear when we started it, it was uh, when we started the Facebook community, we said, okay, guys, fire away, the, the rule of this series there's no stupid questions, so whatever you think the question is, ask away and we'll we'll find the answers for you, if I have the answers, I'll give it, and we developed MX12, which was 12 training sessions for them to do, we gave them three bonus sessions, one with Terenzo, and uh, actually you appeared in, one of them, mm-hmm. you did the track right. set, um, and we said, give us our, give us, give me the feedback. How can we make this better for you? What are you guys looking for? And uh, the feedback was, they love the sessions, and we, they wanted more. But how could we plug that in to a to a training plan? What, how do you how do you take these sessions and use them? And uh, a lot of people had their own coaches, but a lot of people out there. In, in our sport a, a longing for knowledge so I said okay let me. and it's
0: such an alone sport I mean you're doing most of this in a vacuum or if you don't have a coach you're kind of you know on your own to figure it out and you know all the training sessions are by yourself unless you're a member of a club and you know yeah and a,
1: a lot of people don't know when to actually do things you know they're like okay I wake up on Wednesday morning I have an hour in the morning what would you recommend I do in that hour they don't they don't have any system in place that enables them to to, to basically plug in training sessions of their own or mine mm-hmm. or other athletes. And uh, so we decided to put a product together called MX Plus, which we just finished doing a lot of the filming, the Sportoga at your house, a lot of other things outside of swimming, biking and running. And the, the big difference was at the end of it, we give a simplified version of some of the systems, the training systems I've seen around the world that have been very, very successful. And then we're trying to highlight the certain sessions we've given so they can take one of those sessions and just plug it immediately in onto a Monday, day one. They might do a foundation day, which involves longer training sessions. So here's five sessions you could plug in for yourself on that day. It just gives them a guide right. on to on how they can build their own their own training program and, and how they can use their coach if they have one to help them, you know, plug certain sessions in. I'll say this this has been successful for Lisa Norton, Olympians, for for world champions, for myself and mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty proud of, uh, it's very simplified, we're going to build on it, but it's. Uh, it, I think it's going to come out really well. It's cool.
0: Well, congrats on that. I mean, it's already wildly successful and uh, it's a great product. So I'll put the link in the show notes for the show, but it's maca x maca com. is that the best place for yeah. people to go to check it out?
1: Com is MacaX.com is the community platform and uh, come and join us, we're a fun <laughs> crew, there's some outlandishly funny people in our sport from all around the world. We have members in Finland, in Germany, a lot in Miami heaps in Australia and uh, all around the world. And we, we've enabled people to build tribes. So we've got all these tribes around the world. We've got a couple in Japan, and, and that's the big thing. When you're traveling, you come into one of these uh, X tribes, and I know next month I'll be in, in Europe. I'm meeting five or six members of our community. They're all coming down, and uh, we'll all be racing in Barcelona, the, the European tribe. It's it's right.
0: it's pretty cool. It's cool, and, and, you know, it's an extension of this, kind of entrepreneurial spirit that you have that you bring to the sport. I mean, most people, professionals or top flight amateurs, I mean, they're just training all the time. They're super focused on that. That's that's essentially what they're doing 24 uh, seven. But you seem to always be kind of forward thinking, like, how can I make this better? What should I be doing next? And, you know, I've seen you on the phone, man. You're cutting deals and wheeling, <laughs> wheeling and dealing all the time and, and, you know, trying to think outside the box of, you know, how can I uh, put my imprimatur on this sport and what do I want to leave behind? I mean, you just turned 40, you know, you'll continue to compete, but then there's going to be a next phase of your life. And and what is that going to look like? And how are you going to kind of capitalize on this, you know, sort of experience that you've had in this sport to, you know, carry on for the rest of your life? I mean, what is, what is that next chapter going to look like for you, do you think? You yeah, know, I think my... For my personality. I, I
1: grew up in this sport, you know. I, I discovered it in the '80s. I was a big fan first. So athletes like Mark Allen, Dave Scott, Tinley, these guys were were demigods to me as a as a kid. And I I used to want to be these guys more than anything. So I think what drove me through this sport was always passion and a respect for the history of the sport. And I've, I've always hung on to that. And I think a lot of the athletes. Um, more recently, who have come to the sport are triathletes because they're good at triathlon. They don't really mm-hmm. understand where the sport came from, nor do they care. Well for me, it was always driven by passion and respect for the Peter Reeds and the, all the athletes that came before me. You know, every Ironman World Championship I won, I always thanked those athletes that came before me because for me they were a, a huge part of of who I was why I was here in the first place and what motivated me in this sport and you know as you get older you start to reflect on your footprint on on how you influence the sport in your small way and and how you can make the sport better moving forward and what you what changes you you mm-hmm. think can be made and a lot has changed since I've been in the sport I just the the races the the corporations that have come in the growth of the sport and and some of it's been great, and some of it hasn't been so great. And uh, I've always been very, very vocal about the future of it because you know I, I, I feel
0: it's been my life. It's something that I that I love. So, what do you think are the big the big problems right now that need to be addressed? I I just think uh, the the people in power
1: to some degree. I understand mm. it's big business and it's it's quite difficult. But you know when you have hedge funds owning a sport, they're they're here for different reasons, and mm. I think. Um, you know, you just – we're moving more away from that community feel that was it was fantastic about the sport in the first place where everyone knew each other, everyone – of course that happens with as every sport grows, right. but you can still hang on to that lifestyle element of triathlon, and uh, I think in some cases we're losing that. It's more about a brand and as
0: opposed to an experience. And, uh, and yet want, it's still – it's growing out of breakneck – Pace. I mean these races sell out instantaneously and it doesn't matter how many new Ironmans they are, they sell out immediately and you know there's no there's no shortage of demand for participation.
1: Well the 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 thing I always say is that the growth is exponential, but you're only gonna sell three thousand slots to sell out a race. So of course you need to multiply the amount of races as as the as the popularity grows, which is just a common it's a normal growth curve. Mm -hmm. But I think what you do need to hang on to and the sport is making some errors, is those events that have had history. Without without understanding where your sports come from, you have no future. Without respecting the past, then how do you how do you move forward? With tennis, Wimbledon is Wimbledon because it has a hundred years of history. There's thousands of other tennis tournaments that come, but Everyone watches Wimbledon. Everyone watches the U.S. Open. Everyone watches the French Open. They're their Grand Slams because they're the most historic events on the ta- on the on the calendar. And the same can be said about triathlon. But I feel that some of the brands have come in and they've sort of muscled their way in and, and made events that that are marquee events in our sport. Escape from Alcatraz, Wildflower. They don't they don't have an, an Ironman brand on them, so mm-hmm. they're dissed. And uh, when a when a company comes in, they own the brand. They own the sport. They own the magazines. They they push a message. Yeah, it's and, and it's
0: completely vertically integrated, totally, from top to bottom.
1: Totally, and that's that's the biggest change I've seen. And they're the things I, I think a lot of people are here for the same reasons I came for in the, a long time ago. But they need to to find their way there and that way is being pushed aside by corporations. So I've always hoped that by embracing the history and by, by encouraging old school thinking in the sense that we're a community. Let's let's work out together. Let's have a good time. Let's exercise for fun. Let's be social. Let's let's form relationships, marriages and everything out of mm-hmm. what what interests us. We can keep that core passion, mate, the sport will continue to grow exponentially. And and if we can keep reminding people of where we've come from, then we, we've got some idea of where we're headed. Is there, a, is there a Hall of Fame for triathlon, like a physical location for that? None. There should be. No, they, they announce it every now and then. They put someone in the Hall of Fame, and I've always asked, where is that? <laughs> where,
0: where is yeah, this no, Hall is of that, Fame? Is that a
1: <laughs> – in Canton, Ohio. <laughs> I thought Kona would be a – I've always thought when I went to Kona, it would be a, a fantastic place to have a coffee shop or something with, with all the old pictures and, you know, mm-hmm. like an Ironman, you know, shop where people could go, whether they get off the cruise ships, you know, that – that Alihi Drive, that finish at Alihi at, at, at Kailua Pier, is, uh, it's, a, it's a monumental place in triathlon history and triathlon right. in the sport. We should have something there. That's right, and every uh,
0: couple of days a huge cruise ship pulls up and 100%. there's people walking up and down that street. A yeah. so.
1: yeah. bit of respect for the... Yeah, the guys who have done it
0: come on and 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 also you know sort of organizing the professionals you know into some kind of union or something like that yeah. i mean there always seems to be talk about that and is there any movement there or progress with that or i mean what are your thoughts on on There's, sort of you know the collective power of the professionals getting together to kind of have their voice be taken more seriously with respect to you know paydays and and you know i mean some of the some of the sort of you know prize money is just it's it's, ridi- it's it's ridiculously low for the amount of energy and time and commitment it takes to win these races i mean you can only do so many ironmans in a year and you know and then to invest all of that to be at that level and the prize money isn't 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 worth the effort in terms of being able to support yourself like i look around you know there's you but then there's a whole there's a whole other tier of professionals trying to make a living and i'm like how do they even do it like because they have to travel to all these mm-hmm. races there's it's a very very expensive sport like i'm you know i don't know i don't know how to they make ends meet yeah there's there's always been
1: discussion amongst the professionals um about a union you know and what are they going to do but i think you know any big corporation that likes to uh that likes to control the game will always create disharmony <laughs> amongst the pros, you know, or amongst the people who are who are uprising. It's just, you know, it's it's part of history, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you need people there who are prepared to stand up for, you know, for a union to work, a, a true athletic union to work. Then the guys at the top need to be as respectful of the guys at the bottom. It can't be, oh, well, this works up to a point, but I don't want to go without anything. It needs to be all in, and that's the. To let me have in this sport It's been dog eat dog For the last 10 years You You know Longer Or even longer Where You take what you can get So that mindset Amongst a lot of the pros it, It's a pipe dream Let's mm-hmm. Let's Let's form a union But only if it doesn't Really affect me Or if it, You know right. what I mean So if you can the When when you see When the, the Powers to be See this Underlying current Happening They just look after A couple of the top guys And, and then it goes, and it goes away And it right. goes away And that's always Going to be the case And you need someone In place And, you know, I've always been singing along, but, you know, you need someone in place who's prepared to make the stand and we all stand united. And it's just I I think the pros are at fault. There's no one, they're not not prepared to make that stand. If you don't go, if we all stood up this year and said, we're not going to Kona unless you do this, someone will go. Mm -hmm. Some young guy will go. and Somebody will go, right. Someone will go (laughs) and Ironman will promote them as the Ironman world champion and it will march on and then everyone will go, oh and then they'll go back to the game. We did it years ago with Chicago. We ultimately got the result we wanted um, with the the prize money being increased from 5000 to $12,000. But everyone stood out but still some of the pros went and, and that that result is on many people's resumes. So right. the, those those pros that went won Chicago which was annoying to me at the time because they shouldn't have won Chicago which was a huge race in the day but they did mm-hmm. and in the history books they recorded as a Chicago champion but ultimately the stand down of many of the big pros at the time saw an increase in the prize money. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not always about increasing prize money. And and I'm not here to defend all the pros because the pros need – a lot of the professionals are semi-professional. They're not professional across the board and they're their own worst enemy. There's a lot of events out there. They're always crying poor. There's not enough money but there's a lot of events out there
0: challenge for you example rev 3 and you have Rev3. challenge i mean they're they they've you know it used to do, i mean kona's always co- going to be kona mm-hmm. but uh, but for a while it was just ironman was pretty much it but now you know with with the challenge series and with the rev 3 series you really have you know the that competition against the ironman brand is yeah. is gaining steam and that's going to be interesting to watch to see how that plays out well you got to
1: blame a lot of the pros there too i can give you five events that challenge have this year that are paying five times more prize money than than many of the Ironman races Mm -hmm. yet they're struggling to get pros and then in the next breath the professionals will say there's not enough money well you can't have your cake and eat it too you need to support the people who are going to support the sport and that's what I'm saying about the change in the mindset back in the day it didn't matter what the brand was an event was an right. event because a, a, a an organizer came along, he put a prize purse on, the great athletes chased the money. And so the greatest athletes in the world back then were the people who made the most money.
0: Now, and they were racing all the time and they were racing all different distances from 100%. sprint to Olympic to Ironman and, and, and all of that. It wasn't yeah. as specified as it is now. It yeah, they like- went- they followed the money.
1: Now a lot of the guys are, are following the KPR points and uh, they're racing an Ironman for $4,000 and they're, they're $3,000 out of pocket. And then you speak to them at the end of the year when they have a $30,000 credit card debt and they complain to you that there's no money in this sport. When I could have pointed seven races, had they done those seven races, they would probably be $50,000 up. Right? It's like sometimes guys, you're your own worst enemy.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. So uh, I want to get into a, a, a little bit of a different topic. And this this is personally interesting to me, uh, which is, you know, how you, how you balance your professional athletic career with being a father and a husband and all of this travel that you're doing. It seems like you're constantly on the road. You're in a different city all the time. Like, how does that... You know, For me, I, w- I would feel like if I was focused on my training, it would be destabilizing, like never to be in the same place for a while, to get into a rhythm and a schedule. And then you have these really extended periods away from your wife and kids. And yeah. like, how do you... You know I think there's a lot of amateurs out there that you know they work jobs and they're trying to figure out how to balance their triathlon training or just getting fit with all the other obligations they have in their life in, in their lives. It's a very relatable thing and a, a relatable problem and just because you're at the top of the game doesn't mean you're immune from that same thing. You have other things in your life that are important to you.
1: Yeah, well, it's been so. a, that
0: that has been the most difficult thing for me in the
1: last, you know, couple of years. I think it really became an issue when my oldest daughter Talia started school. She started school here in the States and we were chasing a green card at the time and, you know, you, you're sort of weighing up where, you know, we're foreigners, even though this was always our home for many years, you, your heart is at home in Australia and my wife was here and we were like, do we move to the United States, do we do we go home and uh, we opted to go home, you know, Emma had her family there, it gave us the opportunity for me to do events and travel and and made the the load lighter for her while she was home. So we made that decision in 2009 and uh, that made life difficult for me because my commute Mm -hmm. suddenly became, uh, you know, (laughs) 15 hours by plane to Los Angeles and, and, you know, 24 hours to Europe. And, you know, I think for a lot of the guys in the Southern Hemisphere – and, you know, when we talk about those athletes and we compare them to the athletes in the Northern Hemisphere, this sport is a Northern Hemisphere sport. So for a lot of us that move away from home, we, we have to relocate our, an entire family. It works up until school starts and then right. you need to make a decision. Are you moving here? Are you taking the citizenship or are you going home? And and when we made that, it made, made things very, very difficult. And I think that's been the most difficult part in these in these. Part of my career, the later, got into my late 30s, is I'm a father. I love my children. I miss them. I, mm. you know, I'm gone for three weeks. The tears at the airport. The and when I talk, people talk about how can you remain competitive into your 40s? I got to match the motivation of the 25, 26 year olds. I think physically in endurance racing. I'm as good as I was in my mid-30s. I've got no niggles, no injuries. I think the no way...
0: niggles. What's a
1: niggle? A, a niggle. <laughs> a
0: niggle is a... You don't call them niggles? No, you know what? I heard that word for the first time. I was supposed to go running uh, with... Dan, you know Dan McPherson? Yes, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So Dan was going to join me and this other friend of ours uh, to go running, and then he sends me a text the last night. I... I I got a bail made. I got a niggle. A niggle. What are you talking about? A niggle is an
1: annoying little, uh, you you know, an injury's coming. Like you might have a tight ITV, a little niggle. It must be an Australian Uh, term. It's got to be. (laughs) Yeah. So no niggles and no, uh, no injury. So the body's there, but you really need to match that motivation and you need to match the intensity. And when you start laying. You know family pressure time away from home you, you know you're in a training camp and you miss your kids and you're like am i doing this they're the things that i've noticed in these last few years because you know as a father i you know i say it openly I, I miss my daughter's first soccer goal that's mm-hmm. what some people like, who cares to me it's everything you know now, when and,
0: you're a dad you know what that yeah means. you know
1: what that means and and you start to question whether you're doing the right thing so you know, I've I after I won Kona in two thousand and ten for the last time, I, I I handed the reins over to my family. I said, "Okay, look, from now on, you know, my life has been so selfish, and you guys have sacrificed so much, and you've given up everything, and it's always been about me, 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 me. And and when you decide to have kids and get married, it can no longer be that way. And uh, I said, the the reins are now yours. If I I'll do Kona again if you green light if and so all the decisions within my athletic career now I leave to the family, so most of the time you see me travelling on three weeks, which is why mm-hmm. you see these hectic schedules, you know, And right. uh, but I feel more at peace at that with that now as a father and as, as a husband because I think, um, you know, that that my kids are involved in the decision making. My wife's involved in the decision making as opposed to
0: mm-hmm. my
1: coaching staff going, "This is what we're doing," and kids right. have to deal with it. you know right. and and that's been hard, and I think uh, you know people can relate to that.
0: Yeah, it, it it can't be easy. And, uh, you know, I think it's easy to look at your life from an outsider perspective and think, oh, it's the guy's got it made. You know, he's so talented and he gets to travel all over the world and do these races. And, and, and in it you have the same struggles that, that we all have and, and these issues with balancing your life. And am I making the right decision? And the gut checks that come with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a human thing. And So when you made that decision with your family this year for 2013, I mean, what was that decision? I mean, what is your priority this year in terms of racing and training and and what are your goals heading into the fall?
1: I'm home a lot more this year. I'll be, uh, you know, I'm up here for this, for my birthday weekend. I'll knock over a couple of races. We come up to do some filming for the MX Plus video. I'm home next week. I'm taking my daughter to Vietnam with me. Um, I have a race next weekend. So... I come back home and then I prepare for an Ironman in in Cairns, which is in June, and that'll ratify my Kona position um, if I want to take a Kona slot. If I was to do that, I'd prepare in Australia for that. And uh, but I have a lot of challenge commitments. I'm racing Javier Gomez in Barcelona in May. Right, right.
0: There's a um, lot of heat. There's a lot of talk about that. Oh, like people are really want to see what's going to go down there. Oh, I'll tell you what's going to go down. He's going <laughs> to swim past me, bike past me, and run past me.
1: The <laughs> kid's the the future, man. That guy is the most amazingly gifted uh, multi sport athlete I've ever seen. It's just a, for me. I, I it's an honor for me to be in the same race as him um as he's making his long course debut and i said right. that to him in a, in a video message i just think this is the most exciting triathlete i've seen the Brownleys are as exciting but i think as a well-rounded athlete and the future and the ability to go up in distance i think gomez is uh oh he's brilliant yeah so it's, it's amazing a, yeah as a guy who loves the history of the sport i said that to him in a minute message it's just an honor for me to be in his first ever half ironman Said, so just go easy on me, mate. <laughs> but, uh,
0: well, and I think you might have a deeper appreciation for, you know, for those guys because you spent last year, you know, or 2011, you know, early 2012 with this this attempt to make the Olympic team, and you were immersed in that IT yeah. world and got to see up front, and, you know, up close and personal how unbelievably fast these young kids are in, in in the shorter distances. It's it's remarkable and it's it's revolutionized, you know, what it was you know 10 15 years well, ago the
1: progress of the it's the progress of the sport you know i remember coming in on the short course racing when i was in the you know in the mid-90s r- racing my first world cups and i was racing the tinleys and the you know these guys were at the end of their career and you're like far out these guys are slow and mm-hmm. then you know it was a, just a different era then i stepped out and did i Man and i've come back and seen just how far that short course racing has come you know i when I was doing it, I, we all had a weakness to some degree, you know. I was a, wasn't the greatest swimmer, but I could make up for it in the bike and run. Nowadays, is these kids have started triathlon uh, at five and six years of age. There's they can no be weakness. champion
0: swimmers. They can be champion track stars. I mean, you know, they're they're just there's no weaknesses. Zero. You've got yeah. a kid like Gomez who can swim, you know, eight and a half minutes for eight hundred
1: meters in the pool, and he, he goes and wraps out a a high twenty eight minute 10,000 meter mm-hmm. run time on the track. You, you, yeah, what just are you ridiculous. To do with that? How, how do you beat that guy? <laughs> and, and the irony is he's a, he's a phenomenal bike rider. You're like, oh, please. You know, it's just amazing and it's 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 the natural progression of our sport. Our sport's very, very young and mm-hmm. it's exciting the future of where these guys are going to go and that, again, that's going back to what we are talking about before. It's how do we set this sport up for the next wave of athletes the pete jacobs the ivan ranas the gomez's and the the brownies i'm sure their names are going to be fantastic and and secured in the sport but unless we leave something solid behind for them why would they come to ironman racing what's over here five thousand dollars they win twenty thousand doing the olympic distance race right and they can race all the time at that distance 100 percent. they're only going to come over here to win kona because it's such a a benchmark Mm -hmm. event in our sport but are they going to stay here Are they going to remain in this sport? You don't want, I always think you don't want Ironman racing or 70.3 racing to be the, when you've finished on the the elite circuit, the Olympic circuit, it's sort of a fallback option, which I feel like it is becoming. You've seen Bevan Doherty chase at Olympics. He's he's been to three Olympic games. He's 35 years of age. He's like, oh, they're too quick for me. I'll I'll drop over and do Mm 70.3. You know, It's become the safety net to keep your career going until you're in your 40s. I, I think, the, the distances and the Ironman racing should be specialists in itself and uh, we should right. be encouraging these high-end athletes to come across in their peaks so we can see where this endurance sport can take us. And that's what was happening with the Mark Allen and Dave Scott days. They were at their peak <coughs> at, this, at this distance. And uh, you know, it would be great to see what Gomez could do now exactly. at, at 30 it's, years of age in Kona.
0: When you kind of compare Ironman to other sports, whether it's you know, even you know, look at ITU racing, Look at the sport of swimming. Look at track and field, and look at the progression of world records, and you know, sort of how un, you know unbelievably better athletes are now than they were 20 years ago or whatever. But then you look at Ironman, and you look at what Mark and Dave were doing. Yeah. I mean, people aren't really that much better than well, those guys. That they're on. eating bananas and you know riding on bikes that no one would even consider riding today. Hundred th- percent. Th- what do you think? What do you think that's about? Like, why isn't there been you know? A, Sort of, you know, you look at the sport, compare it to the sport of swimming. You know, even some of Michael Phelps's times are getting eclipsed right now yeah. by kids that are in high school and college, and and there, you don't see that in Ironman. There isn't the same. It's, I honestly believe you're not seeing the guys coming to Ironman anymore
1: in their peak years you know Mark and Dave were hitting this at 31 Like Mark at his peak was 31 years of age he was the king he won later he won his last one at 37 mm-hmm. but the best ever Mark Allen was 31 32 33 these guys are st- Gomez is 32 you know if we saw Javier Gomez come to Kona right now right. it'd be scary but right. why would he come to Kona you give him one race he's got to he's got to qualify he's got to do some Ironman somewhere else in the world for $5,000 um, he's then got to go and do some seventy point three races in the world where he might get paid three thousand dollars to get the points up to qualify for Kona, right. where he wins a hundred thousand dollars. He can do that doing the short course. And he would have basically. to
0: completely change his training. Change his training.
1: But there needs to be, you know, they're, they're making executive decisions as professional athletes. You know, and the Olympic carrot is now. Bigger for a lot of the young kids coming to triathlon than the Ironman carrot. When I was mm-hmm. young, there was no Olympic carrot. You couldn't go to the Olympics. Triathlon wasn't in the game. So Ironman was where you headed. You he did the short course. It was a progression to be the king. You wanted to win Kona. That mindset's changed. I just did that a year on the on the ITU circuit and to see that different mindset. Most of these kids don't care about racing Hawaii. They're mm-hmm. like, who won that last year? I don't even. It, it's just a completely there. They're focused on the Olympics. Alistair Brownlee is the king. His brother Jonathan Brownlee, he's a he's a demigod. You know, Javier is Superman, and Craig Alexander and myself are dinosaurs that do some different sport. That, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's basically he who runs
0: the. Who that's it, What you do when you're an old man?
1: Yeah, totally. And that's it's yeah. really the perspective. It was interesting. You know, I was like, wow. There, you know, Javier's going across to, to um all the way through to Rio. So you're not going to see Gomez come to Ironman until he's 36 years of age. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's sort of... The, and Ironman loses out. We don't, get, we don't get to out. see what a guy like that could do at his peak. Yeah, I know. Alistair told me in Abu Dhabi a couple of weeks ago that he'd contacted Ironman last year after he won the Olympics. He was keen to do the 70.3 Worlds, and they they rejected They rejected it. You had the Olympic champion saying, hey, I've never done the half. I haven't met your qualification criteria, but can I do the las vegas world championships against they wouldn't
0: give him a buy like he was gonna have to do wouldn't give him the
1: wild card and and they said a lot of the professional athletes were complaining about it i'm like come on guys if it's a world championship you want the best in the world there you can't it's better for the sport it's better for the sport you don't call yourself a world champion unless you're racing the best and uh yeah he didn't get that so oh they're amazing they're
0: incredible athletes right and just speaking about the olympics um you know again sort of uh comparing kind of you know, your public persona and what people kind of sort of identify with you, you know, you're just this, this reigning world champion, you know, arguably the most accomplished triathlete of all time. I mean, you've won, you know, a bazillion races and, and uh, you know, everybody in the sport knows who you are. Um, And yet, you know, you've also had your struggles like you haven't won every race. You made two attempts to make the Olympic team and missed them. them. Um, It took you years and years and years to get on the podium and in, in Hawaii, you know, it wasn't an overnight thing and you've had these setbacks and disappointments in your career. And, and, you know, I think it would be good. You know, we have a lot of triathletes listen to the show or just marathon runners or just fitness people. And and, and I think it's good for them to know that, you know, even at your level, you have to deal with the same things that, that they do. And how do you, sort of emotionally manage you know those disappointments and and stay focused and stay energized and excited about your training and what you're doing well i honestly think that your disappointments it, it, it's how
1: you rise from the ashes you know without being melodramatic it's it's how you deal with the disappointments that ultimately shapes your character as an athlete and uh you know i've like you said i expected to go to i'm hawaii my first attempt and win it just I kill had, it i hadn't know. lost a race for three years my and, and I felt like I'd I'd watched this race since I was a kid. I'd paid my dues on this island. I'd never been there, but hey, I know Man better than anybody. I'm going to win this race. And uh, I got. And you had you had won an Ironman prior to that, just not in Hawaii. right? Yeah, I won my was my first ever Ironman. Man. I, right. I did one half Ironman Wildflower. I won it, broke the course record. I went and did one Ironman after that against the current world champion and Peter Reed. All these world destroyed them at I'm in Australia and thought it's just a natural progression I'm going to win Hawaii I haven't lost in three years I don't even know how to lose I lost not only did I lose I was walking embarrassed on that island I got decimate 13 minute lead off the bike high five my father as I came out of transition he said bank the check dad I'll see you in in a few hours and by five miles I was walking by 10 miles I, I couldn't put one foot in front of the other I was out and the sport Loved that story. So not only mm-hmm. was I out and disappointed, the media jumped on board. It Here's this cocky kid, thought he was going to come here and win. It was great to see him humbled by the island. So you had to deal with that disappointment. And then I came back the next year, failed
0: again. And right. I came back the next year. It's just like slowing it down and saying, all right, the next year you came back. The second time thinking, all right, I got my ass handed to me. I got to get my shit together. Train hard, focus, go back. I learned my lesson. Now I'm going to win. And then to have it happen again. again. Yeah,
1: but this yeah. time I, I was... You know, you, you you reset yourself after that first disappointment and you try and justify in your own head, we all do, what went wrong. But looking back, you have to be a- absolutely honest with yourself. You know, a lot of people try and plug in an answer that isn't the real answer. It's an answer that makes them feel good. What was the mistake I made my first year round? Was it that I was too cocky? Was it that I was too skinny? Was it that I was over-raced? And you, you find an answer that you think is right and, you, and that's how you justify it in your head. But you have to stand up and go again. So in 2003, when I came back, I thought, you know what, I need a little bit more experience. That was what I blamed my failure. I've mm-hmm. done two, two races in my life over two hours. Maybe I need to do a few more and get the experience. So I, I registered for two Ironmans that year. I won my first one. I won my second one. I've done three four Ironmans in my life, three wins, one DNF. I went to Kona again saying, this time I've worked it out. <laughs> They're all dead. I've got to – I need to – yeah, yeah I, I learned a little bit about nutrition. I had no idea about nutrition before that, so I thought, yeah, I'm going to eat on this bike now. Um, I'm going to win again. Came in, blown away again. It was one of the windiest years ever in Kona and I'd never experienced uh, conditions like that in my life. It just hollowed me out. And, uh, but I swore that I would finish the race, so I walked – to the finish line, 72nd place, mm-hmm. humbled, 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 humbled. But I was determined to cross the finish line that year. And uh, again, you sit down after the race and you're like, man, how do I deal this? I've thrown my life into this. You know, what do you do? My wife labelled that time of year the October blues because I was – difficult to be around because i was in my own thoughts trying to work out what was going wrong i felt like Mm -hmm. i was doing everything right and yeah uh,
0: how could you win all these races and be undefeated and and then just be unable to deal with this one race
1: and the other thing is you you're trying to come to terms with that in your own head and you're reading the press and people's other people's answers to why you're failing oh i'm too cocky or he, he over races or he uh you know, and you're, and you're looking at that, maybe that is the answer. He's he's too skinny, he doesn't, mm-hmm. right, you know, so you're trying to find answers because you think you have them because you've been successful. And, uh, you know, you, you need to, around that time you start to become, with Fah, you start to become a little bit more insular and you're trying to f- sort things out for yourself and you start to put people around you that you think can help you. And I, uh, I started working a lot a lot more with uh, a lady, Suzanne Krafner in Germany, who's a she specializes in schizophrenics, actually. She was a mental doctor. And uh, we started looking more at the mental side of things because I was starting mm-hmm. to get scarred with the failure and, um, you know. Doubting with, yourself. Doubting I'm, yourself. They yeah. become your biggest demons. I fa- When I went back the next year, I failed again. 2003, mm-hmm. DNF'd. I was going into the energy lab in fifth place and I just could not make it to the finish line. And I got into the car that year, in 2004 that was, as I got to the energy lab. I saw one of my sponsors in a car, and I opened the door. I just saw the car. I was—I had ten miles left to run. I opened the car door. I said, "I am out. I am done. I'm retiring." Mm -hmm. And of all, it was like it was meant to be. The person driving the car that day was was Mark Allen, Mm -hmm. and uh, he had Preston Sandusky from Kestrel, my agent Scott, in the car, and. I've jumped in, you know. You you sit down, the air conditioning's on, and they can't believe you've pulled out of the race. I was in fifth place. They're like, What are you doing? I said, I I can't make it. I'm done. They're like, You're nearly home. But they didn't realize I've been suffering for 10 miles before that. And uh, I said, Can you just drive me back to the hotel? I'm retired. I'm done. And Mark Allen said to me, "Like
0: retired, you're you're thinking retired, retired.
1: I am quitting triathlon. I cannot. I'm going back to short course. I'm going back to the Olympic distance racing. Mm -hmm. Ironman's not for me. I can't win this race. It's third year in, I can't even finish the thing." And uh, Mark Allen said, "No, you're going to watch this race unfold. You're going to see what happens." Peter Reed went on to to dominate, and uh, Mark had been working with Peter Reed, and Peter, I'd beat him up all year, all year, I'd beat this man, Mm -hmm. and when we're driving back, it was one year. It was Chris? Uh, I've forgotten the amateur's name. He crashed his bike out on the on the lava fields, and he had to run twenty miles with his bike on his shoulder, covered in blood. He ran all the way back to the transition area with his bike, and we pulled up next to this guy. You know, I've been all over the magazines that Mac is going to win this event this year. He's one had the most dynamic year all year, and this guy's covered in blood and. Uh, I was sitting in the back seat, and we pulled up, asked him if he wanted to lift back to transition. He was three miles out. He still had to run the marathon yet.
0: Right. So he's he's running… With his bike with on his shoulder. Bike, probably
1: he's barefoot, right? Barefoot. his cleats. Covered, I mean, covered head to toe in blood. Like, just unbelievable. I'll never forget it. And I pulled up next to him, and uh, they said, mate, do you want to lift back Mark Allen and Preston? He's like, no, no, I'm going to… This is Hawaii. I'm mm-hmm. finishing this race, and he looked, glanced in the back, and he went, Macca. and I have <laughs> never in my life felt so little. It, 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 honestly, it was uh, it, the most. I was like, "Oh man, here is this amateur. This is what our sport is. Mm-hmm. This is what." And I, I was so caught up in the goal that I forgot the, that I should have walked it to the finish. We yeah. all suffer in Ironmans, and I swore. I got back, we watched Peter Reed win, and that that vision has always stuck with me and I was like, I'm coming back here next year. I don't care about the result, but I'm going to cross that finish line and I'm going to be like, I think it's Chris Zielinski was his name. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get to the finish line. So my mindset changed instead of being so goal-focused, I've got, win, I've got to win, I've got to win, I've got to win, I've got to win, for me it became, I'm getting the finish line, forget the
0: process, forget the forget the goal. And I I finally… No, it, it was the process. It, wasn't, it was the process. You, you let it go of the, the totally. destination yes. or your attachment to a certain a result. outcome and yeah. just saying I'm going to engage in this process 100%. no matter what happens.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that That's was, a powerful
0: lesson, I think.
1: it was. And I was taught by an amateur, and that's what's fantastic about triathlon. Mm-hmm. That, despite 10 years in the sport at that point, despite that, winning everything world championships ironmans one person's race showed me what the true spirit of the of the sport was because sometimes at the pro level an
0: amateur athlete at that like that that couldn't happen in any other sport other than triathlon
1: yeah you start to get caught up as a pro at the high end in focusing on the other professionals on focusing on that goal on winning the race that you start to lose you start to forget that what brought you to the sport in the first place was the challenge, and what Ironman racing really is—it's about it's a personal test. And and at the end of the day, anybody—you know—you're out by one percent in an eight-hour race, you, you come fifth. That's mm-hmm. deal with it. And uh, the following year, I finally executed with a, the fastest marathon on the course. I had a really tough day. I was vomiting on the bike. I got my nutrition out, but I was the furthest I'd ever been behind in a race in my life. Farris at the halfway. Paracels all time, when I got to halfway at Harvey, was 10 minutes in front of me. I had a terrible swim. I was just struggling from the onset. I don't know why. And uh, But I said, no, forget about it. Just race your own event. By the time I got off the bike, I executed the fastest marathon, ran myself into sixth place, four minutes from the win, and thought, man, things are starting to click. It's all about a mindset. And from then on, I embraced that kept the competitive spirit and was second first and went on to right.
0: have and like, on a preparation level, I mean the big seismic shift was that you started to work with Mark Allen who kind of took you in and in and and kind of re, reconfigured your approach to the race. I mean yeah. what what were some of the specific things that he changed about, not just mentally, but you know, in your actual physical training to prepare for the prepare for Hawaii? Well Hawaii. in that yeah in that year that I jumped in the car
1: with Mark and Chris gave me that lesson. I pleaded with Mark to if he could sit down with me after the race. I pleaded with him. He was working with Peter Reed at the time. He was one of my main competitors. And he, he said, look, I'll give you 10 minutes after the race, but I want to go and watch my athlete win. Mark was my idol, so he, he was true to his word. He, he had a coffee with me after the race. I hid. I was so embarrassed. And I, I hid and uh, I said, what, what? I can't even finish this race, Mark. What would you suggest I do? And he said, look, when you won Ironman australia peter rang me he'd raced that course You broke his record and he was like wow Macker's finding his way I, I posted a very good marathon mm-hmm. i went up to wildflower in may and i dominated wildflower i won my third title and and ran away from peter and peter rang mark and said man he's finding his way he's and Mark said it's may stop don't worry about it no one mm-hmm. cares what happens in may he said. Then I went to Roth. I broke eight hours. I ran a two forty marathon. Peter rang him again. We're <laughs> in trouble. It's, it's now July. He's like, this kid's going to win. The, the The boxes are being ticked. He's worked out this Ironman, and now he's going to deliver with his talent. And Mark Allen said his exact words to Peter were, "Forget Chris McCormack. He will not finish Kona. He's peaked. Done. It's mm-hmm. a downward slide. Too many um,
0: races. Too many
1: races. Too fit. Too early. Too lean. Too." too too strong too early and i said to mark really you said that and he's like mate you need if you want to win hawaii it needs to be a full year commitment you need to give up the racing you're doing you're over racing you don't need to win everything you can't win everything you want to win everything you're a competitor so your best bet if you have that i need to win everything mentality is race less pick the ones you want to race and race mm-hmm. less but i was a big racer. i enjoyed 13 14 races a year and uh, so I dropped an Ironman from the equation. Ironman Australia. I just raced Germany and and Hawaii, and boom, the success came immediately.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah it's great. It's interesting, and 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 mm-hmm. uh, and a good lesson in being flexible and nimble with your training, and not being too attached to a certain way of doing things, yeah. and, and being willing to surround yourself with people that know more than you, and 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 taking their advice. I well, mean. just being open to new ideas. Yeah. I think the one big change when I ultimately
1: went from. Uh, from the 2005 race, I'd always been a very aggressive biker and uh, speaking with the guys around me, they were like, look, you need to have faith in your marathon. I was always scared of my marathon because it was mm-hmm. so foreign to me. So their their plan was to become a, a, a sit-in-the-front-group guy and, and run a fast marathon, which when you're a certain beast, a, a biker, and, and you got people telling you to to back a marathon that you, you don't really have faith in, but you've, you've, you've empowered these people to give you the advice, It was a difficult shift so in 2006 when i ultimately finished second to norman i gave him a big lead i just sat in the group and uh did nothing and and ran the fastest marathon again but Mm. i finished second i was i reinvented myself i became a runner 2007 that same approach took me to a title it wasn't popular with the pros and if you remember in 2006 i had a big fight with stadler and and faris because i'd always ridden with these guys and been been a workhorse with them and that year I decided I'm not doing anything. Let them go. Let them go. I'm going to sit in the group. And I'm going to run with the fastest marathon. That was the Mark Allen approach. And mm-hmm. it won, it's one cone or more approach. This,
0: this running approach
1: is one cone more than any other approach. So
0: we went with that. And that takes patience and it takes confidence. So all of that eroded confidence that you had in those years when you, you were having trouble in this race, you had to regain that confidence to, you know, to have the poise to sit back and trust that your run is going to be there yeah, and, and that, watch them ride away from you. And that's got to be a scary thing. Very scary
1: because, you know, I talk about that period and people, it's easy to talk about in reflection, but I hadn't won the race yet. Mm -hmm. You know, in 2006 when I'm backing this new strategy, I still without a Kona title. And and you got the people around me saying, we need to back your run. We need to work on your run. I'm like, you sure? I've been so successful winning Ironmans around the world with this bike approach and hanging on in the run. You want me to ride softer, back off the bike, give these guys a big lead. They're pretty good runners as well and, mm-hmm. and, and execute the fastest marathon. What if I can't do that? And we, sh- we ultimately built this new engine that, that took me to the title. Now, when Crowy came along, Craig Alexander is a faster runner than me in Hawaii. When you turn the heat up, I had to reinvent myself again. It was a, I cannot get off the bike with this guy. I, I was successful in 2007 in a in a match race, but the man hurt me, and then he progressed as an Ironman athlete, became the best runner in Kona, I believe we've seen since Mark Allen. I couldn't pack that approach. I had to go back to a riding approach. And, and and be a different racer again. They are difficult decisions to make because you've got to reinvent yourself and right. you've got to back that approach. And that's the biggest message I wanna to say to people is that if you have a training strategy or plan, you can't second guess it. It's it's you're all in. And you know, this is the approach I'm going to take to my next race. I'm not going to second guess it. I don't care what my, my training partners are doing. This is my approach. And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, Craig Alexander made me reinvent myself and go again. And now he's at that phase now where he has to look at what he's doing. He had to become a better biker. Yeah. He's given up a bit of his run. But the, the racing is always evolving. So you have to be able to evolve with the racing.
0: Mm -hmm. interesting and going into Kona this year I mean what are your what are your picks who are you looking at and you know how do you think that race is going to play out based on what you're seeing right now there's new players you've got Ivan Rana Um, he's a three-time
1: IT two-time ITU world champion he's three times top 10 at the Olympics he debuted with his Ironman in Cozumel last year ran away with the win Um, the guy's gifted he's Mm -hmm. the first one of this Generation of ITU races coming across and he's flawless. Um, he's going to be difficult, Bevan Doherty. I think Crowey still, Pete Jacobs and Crowey, I think Crowy, you know, I've had so many wars with this man. If there's ever been a race that was built for an athlete, it's it's Kona and Craig Alexander. The guy mm. is the perfect size, the way the races unfold are perfect for him and he just executes a beautiful marathon. The way he runs his marathons, I think last year he was vulnerable um, but this year he, he's been a lot smarter last year. I think he left his best in Melbourne mm-hmm. He had a great race in Melbourne this year is a bit softer in Melbourne He's had the birth of his third child which will soften his racing mm-hmm. a little bit crowey's biggest mistake if he's ever made any In his failures is he, he loves to race and he's starting to work out his Ironman thing that as you age That over racing can be detrimental at the back end of a year I think he can be dangerous you know I think Sebastian Keenley mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's
0: then, a beast on the bike oh, that
1: guy. He's a beast and we were talking about him this morning at breakfast. He's the best front runner I've seen since since Norman Stadler. He, the guy doesn't want to be anywhere else and they they're a special beast in themselves front runners, you know. There's a lot of people that like to make the claim of being a front runner Lieto and these guys but they're uncomfortable there. Marino Vanaaka where Sebastian Keenley couldn't wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I think you know Chris Lieto was a front runner because he couldn't execute a run, so he used to lay out the bike ride and and hang on. It was more a, a desperate attempt to win. But w- with all respect to Chris, an amazing athlete. But Sebastian Keenlay is an he goes up a level when you put him in front. And you know he he he'll run just as quick as the guys behind if he's if he's in front. If he got off the bike with them, he may lose four minutes. But if he gets off the bike in front, he may only lose thirty seconds. He's just a beautiful front runner. There, right. they're the exciting guys. ...for Ironman Racing because it sets an event up that is very, very different. You know, you're going to have a lot of pace on the bike. You've got guys like Jacobs and Crowey and Rana that can run very, very fast, dockety. That's what's so great about Kona. Every right. year we start speculating. But they're the guys I'll be looking at. The Raylerts are really at that point where I was, where you're five years into your Kona campaign... Are those demons starting to bubble up? Is this ever going to work out? Yeah, you're starting to question whether you can ever win this race because the press is starting to say it. I'm reading a lot of the press, and I've been that guy, (laughs) where they doubt you, your sponsors start to doubt you, the people around you start to doubt you. You know, there's new champions coming along that are showing a a solid hand, and they're starting to say, well, maybe you can't win. So it's how you deal with that within your own head. It, It can ultimately determine whether you win Kona.
0: And where do you see yourself in that equation? I mean, you said earlier like, well, you know, Kona, maybe I'm going, maybe I'm not. Like a, you know, <laughs> what's going on there? Like yeah, are you I'm, are you making the bid this year or or you're I'm, leaving your options open or I'm going to ratify. So, you know, as
1: a Kona winner, I get 5 years of I just need to ratify, so I ratify mm-hmm. in June and Cairns and then I'm keeping it open. I it, it's such once this race gets into your blood, it's very hard to turn your back on it because you know, regardless of whether you're racing for the win or you it's just a beautiful, beautiful race. It's, it's ugly, mm-hmm. but it's so beautiful on a personal level that, you know, last year I was very disappointed and I was in great form. I won a world championship and I made some errors in my prep by using altitude for the first time. I think I identified with what went wrong there because I was hopeless and I just have too much respect for the race and too much respect for myself i guess to to have my last experience whether i win in kona again or i never do but my last experience on that island to be in the back of a car because i swore i'd never not finish that race again Mm -hmm. and uh and last year i didn't finish so i'll be back i uh, will see if it's this year or next year and that's uh, but i'll be back cool
0: um, all right. Well, we've uh, we, we're we're kind of coming up on almost an hour here, so I don't want to take up too much of your oh, time. Oh no, I love this. Time, but, uh, we're talking. We'll, my we'll favorite go all topic. day. Somebody, <laughs> I tweeted, uh, "Hey, you know, tweet me your questions," and and somebody tweeted. Uh, make it the longest podcast of all time. Well, let's keep going. <laughs> we go all day. We'll go for three days, yeah, see I who drops I just, first. I can just leave, get in my car and drive away. I'll, I'll just leave you yeah. talking here. We'll I don't just, have to do anything.
1: We'll see who drops first. We can have yeah. an, an. I'll an, drop
0: a, first, believe yeah. me. I got to run some errands. I'll be back in a while. Yeah.
1: So what do we <laughs> talk about now?
0: <laughs> no, but I do want to get into one thing. I mean, sort of the the, the biggest theme and all the, the questions that were tweeted all have to do with nutrition. Yeah. And people are seemingly insatiable when it comes to this discussion of like, what do you eat before a workout? What yes. do you eat after a workout? How do you fuel uh, during a race? How is that different from training? How is your personal nutrition, both you know, on the bike and off the bike? How has that evolved over time? And I know you've just you've talked openly about issues you've had with hydration yes. and things like that. And and uh, I don't know. That's just what that's what people want to hear about. So yeah, let's I get think into that. A little I
1: think bit. I guess on the nutrition front. That that was the biggest learning curve for me. I think well, the for The first everybody. thing
0: is, think vegan. Think vegan.
1: That's you know, right, That was right? my that was my approach <laughs> last year. Think vegan, and that was a that was <laughs> how that
0: worked out for you. I th- I was thinking
1: vegan all the time, and a lot of people laughed. But I decided after watching Forks Over Forks Over Knives, Forks Over Knives, the the documentary on veganism, and uh, I, I was fascinated by it. We watched it mm-hmm. in Kona last year in camp, and I went, "That's it. I'm I'm tidying up." My, my diet a lot more than than I always thought that I was eating very very well. But you have these, uh, you know, I guess these these marketed uh, philosophies on what is actually healthy and what actually isn't healthy. Right. And I uh, I realised after watching this documentary, I was like, man, I thought I was eating healthy, but technically, you know, just because you're not eating McDonald's, it doesn't necessarily mean you're eating the right <laughs> things. So I I decided to adopt a think vegan approach, which was meant that when I went out, if there was a uh, if there was vegan options there, I would always choose those options. But if there wasn't, if I was at dinner and I was a steakhouse, I would eat, you know, a piece of meat. But I wanted right. to predominantly sort of mould my my nutrition around everything on on being as, as as close to vegan as as I possibly could be without being fully vegan. Right. And uh, so I got rid of you know milk and dairy, and I started doing soy and and these sort of things, and just felt you know why not? It just seems to be good. So that was my um, think vegan. Philosophy, and I still sort of implement that to some degree. But I had a steak only, you know, five five days ago. But my my consumption of meat is more than
0: halved. Right. Definitely. I was at a uh, I, I saw a documentary last night at Pepperdine called uh, American Meat, and I sat on this panel and there was a bunch of panelists to kind of discuss this film and kind of the meat industry. And this documentary kind of took you through. Um, The what's happening with the with the American farmer and how these you know the the sort of conglomerate meat companies like Tyson and these huge companies that control chicken and and beef and and uh, and uh, pork uh, farming have sort of enslaved these farmers and it's almost indentured servitude where the uh, the huge companies will sort of provide the livestock and the farmer kind of houses it and raises these, you know, in these yes. tiny, cramped little houses where there's, you know, disease is rampant and all this sort of thing. And then the economic crash happens, all these farmers are out of work. They're they're in debt and it's a terrible situation. And now you have this kind of uh influx of organic farmers that are cropping up and they're realizing how they can sort of harvest uh, the land in a more sustainable way. And there's all these young people, like people with college educations, kids that have options and choices about what they want to do with their life. And they're interested in like getting involved in farming. Like yeah. when I was a kid, nobody, you know, I don't know what it was like in Australia, but like, I didn't know anybody who was interested in that, Yeah, yeah. whether it's, you know, livestock or, or just agriculture. But, you know, I think there's things are, you know, things, things are changing and people are rethinking how their food is made and, and produced. And, and when you look at how, uh, you know, factory farmed meat is sort of, deli- you know, delivered to your table via the system that exists. I mean, you've got to think twice about what you're putting down your throat.
1: That's why I was thinking vegan, yeah, see? Enough, right? You know,
0: it worked. But I guess, you know, on that talking nutrition,
1: I was I always tried to be pretty good outside of, you know, like I was definitely attentive to what I was eating. You know, I wasn't a, a monk by any means, but I, uh, I was definitely attentive, especially in training camp, on trying to tick the boxes you know mm-hmm. watching you know watching what you're eating instead of just eating like being okay I'll, i will take the salad or actually i need to hydrate a little bit more i need to do these things but it was a learning curve for me because when you're young you don't think these things you right. just you just for some reason can race well where there are, you know you don't yeah. these things aren't thinking so it became more important as you started to age i was starting to think well i need to tick the boxes a little bit more now i need to be more attentive to things like that and and hydration when i moved across to iron man was a, a huge issue for me i i never realized until i raced in the humidity and i spent some time at the australian institute of sport and you know i was cramping all the time in hawaii it was it was crippling me and i couldn't work it out and i went down to canberra yes and uh we did all these tests within a humidity chamber and and realized that as my heart rate rose above 148 to 150 beats a minute i was losing more fluid than i could possibly take in mm-hmm. and uh you know, you can only absorb X amount. Your body has a – you can increase that over time, but it has an absorption rate. And uh, so the the game for me changed, which meant I had to become that runner we were talking about, keep my heart rate as low as possible for as long as possible so I could execute um, a solid marathon. And then I had to be attentive to the hydration I was taking in before the race and the hydration during the race where I used to just drink on the bike. I'm like, right. oh, okay. I, I became more meticulous in drinking, making sure that within that hour – I was drinking 1.25 litres of fluid, okay, and and I was attentive to that. So those little principles, you know, a lot of nutrition plans, they're plans – you need to be a little bit flexible with them, but you should have a set guideline. But you need to understand that that you develop those guidelines through your training and through understanding yourself a little bit better.
0: Right. I mean, it's a personalized thing, and you've got to work that out yourself. Yeah. What works for you, what doesn't, and that's, that's a huge part of training. It's not just going out and executing the workout. It's paying attention to how your body feels, 100%. how it's responding, how it's different when you eat this or that versus some other thing, and, and, and keeping track of that so that you can adjust accordingly.
1: That is 100%. The difference was, you, you know, your mindset needs to change. Like you said, you need to, to to assess, you know, whether it's in a training diary, just how you felt after the big steak meal the night before. Was the swim set terrible? Was the, and you start to find these patterns within how you react to certain things and how you feel to certain, certain things. And I, uh, I was definitely more attentive to that. So when I started using certain nutrition you know, when I was hydrating when I was ensuring that I was taking electrolytes in and taking the protein shake after training, these little things that I neglect in my 20s, how did that make me feel overall? And you can't look day by day. You need no, to start for weeks, months. Yeah, exactly. You find these patterns, and you're like, well, that works or that doesn't, or this doesn't work with me. And this, this does. And I, uh, you know, people aren't, people are hoping that I'm going to come along or you're going to come along and go, there's the formula. Just do that and you're going to be successful. Right. It just that's, does Everyone,
0: like, Yeah, it's sort of like, what's your morning smoothie? Totally. Like, that's the answer. Yeah. And it's like, it's not the answer. 100%. You know? And I don't do the same thing every day anyway. Yeah. You, know? you need to find
1: your way. And, and it's actually an enjoyable process when you start to venture down it and you're more open to that and you start getting more in tune with uh, – just how you feel and i think as athletes we are more in tune than the normal person because you you feel differences in in how you feel in training we need to record those differences and, and look at other why that could have been the case
0: yeah i think as an athlete you're sort of attuned to paying attention to how you feel and making mental notes about that i mean any great athlete you know can tell you exactly how he feels and you know a perfect example that i always use is you know if you're swimming a lot and you know how you're feeling in the pool uh, and you're doing, let's say, you're doing a set of ten times one hundred or something like that. If you're if you're fit, you've been swimming a lot, and you're in touch with your body, you don't need to look at the pace clock. Yeah. You know, when your hand touches the wall, you know exactly what your time was for that one hundred. Yeah, totally. But that only comes with experience and sort of lo- mentally logging that all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, how am I feeling? What am I doing? You know, and being able to gauge that, and the better you are able to do that, like when your hand hits the wall and you know, oh, that was one on one for that hundred. You know that you're connecting with your your system, you yeah. Know, your 100%. engine, hundred percent. F- I often find talking to a lot of amateurs,
1: and we're saying, you know, they're hoping that I'm going to say, well, you know, get out of the swim, do this, this, and this. I, I think we're so quantitative with things that, you know, that I'm going to give you a, the, the killer system. You know, you take two gels and have a have a drink here and try right. this and try that. And uh, you know, I think the only thing we can do is is give guidelines. You know, like, look, try this, but you have to be as attentive to this side mm-hmm. of the sport. You know, it's one thing to we ask You have to look, take ownership of it. You have to take the personal
0: word. responsibility for, 100%. for how that, that works. That is the word I was looking ownership.
1: Yeah. I'm going to use that word yeah. when I talk to All people. Right. You need to take ownership of this part of the sport. It, as much as you focus on your swimming, your biking, and your running, and you count the miles each week, and you, and you look at the different training sessions you can do, the same needs to be applied to how you use nutrition and understand how your body reacts to certain styles, types of nutrition. Does does multidextrin-based gels work better for you than other gels? Do you, are you better off eating free? Mm-hmm. You know, there's millions of ways to feed the body in a race and, and all of them work for different people and you need to find that way and, uh, you know, listen to shows like yours, talk to professionals, talk to other amateurs, try things and, and, and work your way through and you'll find the perfect eating plan for you in a race.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's good sound advice. Um, what are some of the things that you see – uh you know, are kind of common mistakes that amateurs make amateur triathletes or marathon runners or, or runners just in your observation, you know, with all the experience, professional experience that you have and you go out, you know, and you, you run with your, your Maca X crew in yeah. Santa Monica, and you just kind of observe what people are doing or talking about, or you go to these races and you watch amateurs race or how they're preparing, you know, the week before a race, you know, what, what are some of the things that you look at and go, God, if they just knew that they, if they should just did this instead of this, they'd be so much better off. I think a lot of amateurs are time poor. You know, a lot of and they read a lot of the
1: the articles that are written very broadly in in the magazines, and they feel like they have to hit certain quantitative miles on a bike ride or certain sessions in a week in order to be good. And I think uh, they don't take into consideration that life in itself is tiring, and you need to, you know, you got family, you got work commitments, you. You know, you don't sleep well certain nights and having these rigid training programs can be detrimental to some degree. You need a little bit of flexibility in things and you are got to not hold on to, to to missing sessions. A lot of amateurs get very, very guilty. I didn't swim yesterday. They play chase up, mm-hmm. catch up. And, uh, and I think, you know, what the pros do and what the amateurs do, the, the difference between a lot of the amateurs I see and the pros is that... They're doing the same amount of work as we are, but they're also fitting in, you know, an office job or a and, and a family. And the difference between a pro and an amateur is we sleep more. Mm-hmm. You know, we do less, but we, we don't we have the day to do the training. We have more recovery time. And uh, you know, that's one thing with amateurs. They're very a lot of the high end guys are very uh you know, they're they're slaves to to technology, they're slaves to the equipment, they're slaves to set training sessions, they're very if the if the track set is set for tonight, and you turn up and you're tired, you still bash through that track set because right. it was written. And I I think pros they tend to have the coaches around, or they've been in the game so much longer that they can release a little bit. You know what? It's not working tonight. I'm going to move to this session instead. And uh, and just being a, being your own CEO, making those yeah. executive decisions, and more so trusting them when you make them. That's the biggest thing. Not not feeling
0: guilty that you've You've changed the session because it was written, letting go, moving forward and being Mm. consistent. And you seem like you have a really good grip on that. I mean, you you don't, you you know, from what I've seen at arm's length, like you don't look like you're a slave to the power meter and, and, you know, you're not always wearing a heart rate monitor when you're running. And and I'm sure part of that is just, you've been doing it so long, you know exactly what you need and how you're supposed to feel. And you can gauge that specifically without those devices that maybe an amateur kind of needs in order to learn more about themselves. But But you do seem flexible and I think you, you know, for your lifestyle you'd have to be because you're traveling so much. It seems like you're never in one place for for long enough to get into a routine where, you know, it's not going to be interrupted with an airplane flight.
1: Well, I think that the one thing about power meters, heart rate monitors, you know, Garmin's, these sort of things, they're tools, they're training tools And, and I use them without doubt. But... It's it's how you use them. You can't become a slave to them because racing is an organic experience. You need to you need to get a little bit more in tune with your perceived exertion, you know. And I and I often say there was a there was a study in, done in Germany um, two years ago, and I found it fascinating when I was reading the results. They had these people that were using the Garmin's and stuff all the time and their heart rate monitors, and they compared them to these old school runners in their fifties and sixties who grew mm. up with nothing but a watch. And they asked, there was a, a sample group of, of 100 athletes, um, 50 used the equipment, 50 didn't. And they asked them to go out and run for an hour, take everything off and just go out and run for one hour, what mm-hmm. they thought was an hour. And then they came back and see how far people would miss, the, miss this time by. Now the Garmin group, the people who were always running with the what they were missing it by 10 minutes. Some were doing right. 45 minutes. Some were where the group that were were organic runners that just ran for enjoyment they were within minutes of mm-hmm. the of the hour they had a, they were much more in tune with their pace with their feeling with their and this is what i i think is is imperative that you use these tools but you also don't lose that connection you have with yourself because it's important come race day when you're suffering in an ironman or a half I in any race it is all about that it's how you can control that moment that the the, the Garmin can—it's t- telling you that you're going slow. You know that, but how do you right. build yourself and get out of that within yourself? So?
0: And I think in a racing context too, it can be a limiter. Like if you look at your watts and you're racing, and you're like, "Oh, I can't go any higher because I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow up." And yeah, there's logic in that. Like totally. you have to be judicious and smart in how you allocate your energy, but. It's still a race and you've got a you know, you have an opportunity to break the ceiling on what you think is possible. Yeah, and, that, and in order to do that, you might have, you might need to put a piece of tape over that garment or, or not use it.
1: And how many times when you've used the gum or used the power meter, I've had sets, you know, certain parts of the year where I've had a structured powered set on the bike and the week before 350 watts felt easy. And this week I am really hurting at 350 mm. watts. Now, how do you know if you're in a race that, you're not having one of that. if you're so in tune with the numbers, if I was relying on that, you know, and the week before 350 watts felt easy, I could have probably ridden 360 watts. And if, you, if you're so enslaved by technology, which mm-hmm. it can be the biggest limiter, you know, it can be your biggest enemy. So you need to mix that up a bit. And I encourage people to – to, you know, once or twice a week, just, just let, it go, just let just, it go and do it for the joy. of it. Do it for too, the joy. Go for know? a run. I'm going to go and run until I don't feel like running anymore.
0: Right. No watch. And it is funny, though, because I, I fall prey to that for sure. Like the other day, my I forgot to charge my Garmin for my bike. And I went. Of course, I still went out and rode. I yeah. thought about, well, well, I can't ride. My yeah. Garmin doesn't have a charge. You have know, I have to call it, the yeah. workout off. <laughs> yeah. Then I went out and rode without the Garmin, and then I finish it. And I go, well, does that workout even count? Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like, oh yeah, it doesn't because I can't upload it on Strava or I don't. Yeah. So it didn't happen. You know, it's like no, I did the training. You yes. know,
1: and a lot of the time you go further than you wanted to go, and, yeah. you, and it doesn't. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes the information can be be tiring in itself because you, you didn't get. It shows that you didn't get from the session what you were were probably after. Where if you don't mm-hmm. have that information, sometimes you talk yourself into being a better a better athlete. I know that you know when I'm you, early in the season when I'm doing a lot of my base work. We use heart rate and and power meters, and I find in that period that if I'm not hitting those targets or I found it uncomfortable, you start, I should have felt better today. Those numbers don't add up to where I should be, where had I not used the equipment, I would have ridden the bike ride and gone, I felt Mm, great today. So the mindset's like, oh, I'm I'm on track. I'm doing good. I'm doing Mm -hmm. good. You start to feed, you know, a different... You create a different beast right. mentally and uh, Or
0: if you go out and you have a good ride and you hit like let's say oh, I hit this threshold level of watts for that four hour ride, that was awesome. Then there's the pressure every time you go out to ride to either hit that or exceed it. And yeah. if you're below it, then you're like, What's wrong? Yeah, what's wrong with me? You know? I'm going backwards. You know? And right. if you never knew that, if you
1: were just if the feeling felt right, then you you convince yourself and you, you talk yourself into this I'm on, I'm on. track, and you don't mm-hmm. second guess, which can be. Was what I say? Information can be your biggest enemy sometimes. Of course. It's and the
0: body's complicated. You know, it's easy to say, well, watts are watts, and and that's true. But you know, there's a lot of things that go into how you feel that day, and you know, sleep and food yeah. and a million other things that you know we can't even think of. So you have to release that judgment about totally. each workout, and you know, in in its isolation like that. And I think it gets into another big issue with with uh, amateur <clears throat> triathletes and runners, et cetera, which is this idea of going too hard on, on easy days and not hard enough on hard days. And, you know, as opposed to approaching each workout, what is the specific purpose of this workout? What am yeah. I trying to get out of this? And that's a big, I know that's a big thrust in your MX 12 program. And what these videos are about that. Yeah. You want to go out and, and go out for that ride or that run just for the joy of it occasionally. But when you're time crunched, especially, you know, these amateur athletes, they have to make it count. So when they approach a workout, like You know, a lot of people just say, "Well, I have an hour. I'm going to go out and run as hard as I can. I'll just do that every day." And and there's not a a lot of thought or strategy that goes into that. So, you know, can you speak to that a little bit, sort of using that time effectively and understanding what it is that you want to get out of a a particular session?
1: Yeah, well, that was the focus of the of the digital videos we put out. MX12 and the MX Plus was understanding that, okay, as an amateur, you have. Less time. You have three hours a day, say, to do it. So what are the most effective sessions you can do to give you the same the same bang for your buck without the fluff? And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I we put together those training sessions. We put together a swim set called the Elevator, which is a set I use and we, we modified it a bit for people who have an hour to, to swim. We just filmed a, a set called Loose Ends, which is a session we use a lot. It was developed by Brett Sutton and uh, all the pros. He's take He's trained ten world champions. We use this style of session multiple times, like multiple times a week. You're using equipment. It's it's how you can get the biggest bang for your buck as an amateur when you're time crunch. You have family commitments. You have all these things. So that was what I was saying earlier when we we're talking about about plugging them in. How you plug these sessions into a, a training plan. You need to show how much time you have, and you can get the most. You can get the same the same goal meet the same goal from a session by doing it multiple different ways so Mm -hmm. you can do a strength set there's lots of ways to build strength how much time do you have that's the first question how much time can you give me okay you've got an hour well here's a session that works for you in that hour if you gave me three hours maybe we do some time in the gym and -hmm. we run a bit out so it's all about understanding how much time you have what you can give, and then pulling the sessions that give you deliver what you're looking for. and that was the that was the main focus of the products we developed because it was probably the most common question I was asked whenever I travelled around the world was like, how do I do this? How do I do this? Well, I don't have five hours. so how could I do that in one hour? You' are mm-hmm. like, well, you could do it like this or you could do it like this. And uh, that was what we really, trying to build out over the next few years with a lot of the stuff we're we're putting out is getting the feedback from people okay you you executed an elevator set well a great one to go from there is is this session is, is to do a loose end set or just do a do a, an ACS as an aerobic conditioning session mm-hmm. and then just plugging these sessions in and you can do it these 10 ways and uh, right. it's, it's imperative that's the biggest thing for amateurs.
0: And how do you do that for yourself? I mean, do you, have, do you, are you working with a coach now that helps you structure your, your program or, or are you just, you've been doing it so long, you know what you need? I mean, you seem like a guy who you could just, uh, you, you know, your knife gets a little dull and you pull it out and sharpen it a few times and, and you're good to raise. Yeah, I mean, that's my, my like sort of jealous <laughs> outsider perspective. On, <laughs> no, I, I,
1: I've had the same crew around me for a, more than a decade. I, I've always overseen my own training. I, I think earlier in my career, I worked with, some of the best coaches in the sport that came out of Australia. I worked with uh, Cole Stewart, who was Miles Stewart's father. He coached three world champions and just had an amazing squad when I was younger. And then Brett Sutton, who is famous in triathlon now, he coached the current Olympic champion in the women's. He's coached Chrissy Wellington. He was our national coach in australia so we Mm -hmm. had no choice when i was in my early 20s than to fall under his regime which was brutal he's really hardcore very very hardcore i don't encourage his workouts for anybody (laughs) he's basically his approach was throw 12 eggs at a wall and one doesn't crack that's a champion and and it works on the pro end um and you were able to learn a lot he's a very intelligent guy that being said But you were able to take a lot from them, and then more recently, I was working with Darren Smith. In you know, prior to last year when I won Mm -hmm. the ITU Long Course Worlds, Darren Smith is is considered the best ITU coach in the world now at the moment for women, Um, and he has a great. He's a sports scientist, so you take from a lot of these coaches, and you take from a lot of the athletes you train with Simon Lessing, and so you get a a broad understanding of the sessions we're all doing are very very similar, and how we tweak those in our own way was was key. And then I just put smart people around me. So I thought, you know what? I think this works here, this works here, this works here. Get a swim coach. I use mm-hmm. Dick Kane in Australia. Dick, you're a swim coach. Tell me what I need to do on the swimming front. I, I don't want to do a, 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 a threshold set today. I've got a bike ride in the afternoon. So give me something today that, that is an aerobic conditioning set. Mm-hmm. He, he does that. I have... a. Uh, you know, I have MG, does all my strength stuff, and yoga, he's drilling that into me because I'm the most inflexible person mm-hmm. in the world, but he's got me in the gym for the first time in my career. As you age, he believes a lot of weight works mm-hmm. good. So I have these people around me, but overall picture, I help develop, but I've ensured that the people I have around me, Suzanne as well, um, are brutally honest. My running coach, Helen McGuckin, who I don't access as much as I used to, because I mean, she's moved further north in Australia, but... She's always a phone call away. So when I'm struggling with things, I have these go-to people. Mm-hmm. But I ultimately put the package together myself, and uh, and they're, they're absolutely honest with me. That's mm-hmm. that's imperative. They're not tap dancing around me, telling right. me how wonderful I am. They're you're inflexible at the moment, Maki. You're not strong enough. Mm-hmm. You're not swimming well. You've lost your run technique. You've done so. We need to fix those. And because uh, if you're always looking at it yourself, you miss those things.
0: Right. Yeah, I had a, a guest on the podcast the other day who was an entrepreneur and he was sort of he's he was hammering home this idea of surrounding yourself with top-level mentors, you know, people who can Give you the bottom line and, and sort of have your back and, and direct you. And, and essentially, you said, is, you know, your wealth as a human being is determined by the quality of people that you surround yourself by, right? So you have this team, you're the CEO of Chris McCormick, but yep. you have this team of people that you trust that will tell you straight the way it is and keep you, you know, on track. Yeah, 100%. Yeah.
1: And I am my own CEO. That's what I always mm-hmm. try and preach to people is be open to. When you close yourself off, you know, you you, clo- you 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 limit yourself. You really limit yourself. You need to be open, take things from everybody and borrow ideas and borrow things and try them and implement them because you don't know what's around the corner. You know, this. you could adopt, you know, something that you learned from weightlifting, uh, you know, a certain approach to training and uh, I can execute that in, in my bike sessions and see how that works. Right. And I've always been very, very open to that. So you find a system that works. I think you are saying I just need to <coughs> sharpen my 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 knife and i tend to get it right but i i think i always hold a a base level of fitness all year
0: yeah you've been doing this for so long i mean that that endurance base is enormous it's not going anywhere yeah
1: and you just need to really you do you just need to tap in a couple of sessions or a a block of work if if you're looking at certain races Mm -hmm. and you can you can really sharpen that and come up very very quickly but it's a bit wobbly towards the end of the season. You do need to lay some foundation. So it's it's quite easy to get to into a racing edition when you've
0: followed a certain pattern for so long. Right. I have seen some uh, triathletes get into trouble when they have, like they'll say, all right, I, I I'm going to get a swim coach, I'm going to get a cycling coach, I'm going to get a running coach. But then those coaches aren't communicating amongst themselves. So you have the but the cycling coach who's just, you know, killing you on the bike, yeah. and then the swim coach who's pushing you a threshold every day, and the and and they're not communicating, and then ultimately these athletes inevitably overtrain or get injured, or you know, or well, that was put, too tired to do anything.
1: Else. That is the big. When you ask me the question yeah. about the biggest mistake a lot of amateurs make, uh-huh. that is one of them, and I've seen that a lot, and it's a hundred percent right. You, you if your co- if your team is not communicating, and, and these swim these coaches are your team. You've you've empowered them, so you take a swim coach. You take a bike coach and you take a run coach and you don't, they don't communicate, then that's your poor executive decision. Mm-hmm. You need to have, if you're not comf- comfortable in, in, putting together your actual training triathlon plan because this is one sport made of three disciplines
0: right and know? people will you know an, a, an amateur triathlete is going to go to a master's swim workout mm-hmm. but that master's coach is just a master's swim coach so that, you, that person doesn't know what it is that you're training for specifically or what else you have planned for that week other than that you show up at that swim practice a couple times
1: a week. totally and if, if that is the case and i say this to a lot of people and you, you are in a, in a master's program and, and you're like, look, I only I was only supposed to swim easy today and I know Tuesdays is a tough swim. You can swim easy in a, in a program. Mm-hmm. Put, put yourself at the back of the group. Yeah. Use fins sometimes. Use I saw equipment. you do it the other day. Totally. You saw me <laughs> cut the wall living out and take yeah. control. You, you know the drill. Throw some pool <laughs> boys in, use the equipment. I, um. cut, I cut half that session you, you had set for us <laughs> the other day. <laughs> but that is what I mean about making executive mm-hmm. decisions. And And if you get injured – because your team is not communicating or you haven't put someone in place or you don't have the knowledge to understand how to plug these things in, then you know, that's what you should be looking for. And that's part of the what we did with M X Plus now is giving people those guidelines if they do have the three the three mm-hmm. coaches. Well, just how would you formulate a training, triathlon training plan? Because the mistake people make is triathlon is one sport. It's not right. one sport done with every single discipline relies on the other, and we fatigue in one body. So, by building yourself on the on the track in a run set on Tuesday night to wake up and think like oh, I only ex- only exercise my legs, I'll do a hard swim set on Wednesday morning. That is that, that's wrong because we mm-hmm. fatigue as a as a single entity as a body. So you need to make sure you you understand how to how to structure. A, a basic foundation of what tends to work, and that's what we did with MX Plus. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and in the coach that I work with, uh, when I sort of upload my workouts, or you know, he'll say, you know, I don't, I don't really care about the numbers. You know, that's that's on you. You know, you know, you know what your zones are. You know what you're supposed to do. Uh, but what I'm interested in is how you feel, because that's how I'm going to adjust or tweak mm-hmm. what you're doing. It's based on the feedback that you're giving me about what your body is telling yeah. you. Like I can look at the numbers and draw my own conclusions, but I don't have a context for that unless I know what you feel like when you're showing me those numbers. 100%. And that
1: the flexibility in the training plan is, and and being out if you aren't using a coach and you're you're sitting there thinking, "Oh, but it says I have to run hard this afternoon." And I and you're tired and you because we know we all know within ourselves whether we're being lazy or if we're really tired. Yeah,
0: but denial's powerful. You know what I mean? If you give somebody the opportunity to say, "Hey, you know, you can, you know, if you feel tired, you can, uh, you could take the day off." You totally. know what I mean? A lot of people will just they'll hold on to that. You know, they're I'm not as, the they're not as self driven as as maybe you are. You know what I mean? Like they, I think some people need a kick in the ass. Say so, yeah, no, motivation's get out there and key. Run, you know, like you'll be happy when you're done. You're not overtrained. You're only training eight hours a week. Come on, yeah, get yeah. after it, buddy. Yeah, you but. Know? The, the
1: way I find motivation, I think, is when you're in that case. You've come home from work and you've got a, a one hour run set to do, and you're like, "Oh man, you're I don't really want to do." with the stars is on. Yeah, dancing with the stars <laughs> on. I'm hungry, and uh, <laughs> you know, you just. I always say, just just throw the shoe, throw the shoes on, and that's your target. The goal isn't right. the one hour run. My, I would set the goal as, oh, I'll throw the shoes and I'll run to the end of the street. Yeah, you know, and you find that once you get out there, you'll do it. So. Don't make the decision on the lounge, or don't make the decision when you hit the alarm clock in the morning and I've got to go swimming. I don't really want to do it. Change that to look. I'll make that decision when I'm at the pool, mm-hmm. or I'll make the decision, you know, at the end of the street with the with the with the with the shoes on. So if you really are tired, or you really don't want to do it, and it's not there. I, I bet you nine times out of ten, because I've been that person too. When I right. when I've got to the pool, I swim the session and and. Every single time I've done it, I've never regretted doing the session ever. No, ever, ever, never, ever, ever, ever. Yeah,
0: thousands yeah. and thousands of workouts. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my, thousands of workouts. And if I it's not, to do. if it's not there, you know, you can you start running and you're like, yeah, it's really not happening. Yeah, yeah, but I try. Make, I, you, I, you know, now I know. But you have to get
1: out there and try 100%, it. Hundred percent. That. And that's how you change the mindset of the decision making when you are being lazy. Don't think of the hour run because it seems daunting, or the or the or the five thousand yard swim set. You're like, oh, I can't swim five thousand yards. I'm just think of getting to the pool. That's the goal. Right. To get to the pool and stand there and go. Oh, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I bet you put, get in.
0: put Dancing with the Stars on put, TiVo and you're good. Exactly. You just watch it later. Exactly. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that was good. Let's let's wrap it up. We got an hour and a half here. Oh, man. Cool. I thought we are
1: going until sunset, dude.
0: We can. <laughs> We'll do another episode before you leave if done. you want, man. i yeah, It was a pleasure. The champ. Oh, always a pleasure, In the house, mate. man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me. Cool. Big fan. So uh, how much longer are you in town? You're, you're here another week or something like no, that? No, I anything? leave Sunday after Benelli. And where are you going next? To Vietnam. Oh, good, just, good is morning, that just, Vietnam. Is, are you racing there? Or yes. Are you just, oh, you're going to race there. So you're bringing your daughter. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. She's coming up and uh, I do Vietnam
1: and then... Um, I'll do some training in Vietnam. I'm going to do a, a seminar. That'll in, be cool. Yeah. There'll be a seminar in, in Thailand. So we fly to Thailand and I'm into Bangkok and do a, a training seminar for a lot of the expats because the sport mm. is exploding in Asia. Right. And um, and then I'm home and a big block of work before I have to face Javier Gomez in Barcelona in mid-May. Oh, man. <laughs> Good luck. I need it.
0: Yeah, you'll be good now. Yeah. I think you're going to be just fine. If
1: I beat him, he'll never hear the end of it <laughs> for the rest
0: think of his life. Think about what that would mean. Think about that, it would Harvey. Be yeah? huge. If you're listening,
1: Javier, right. if I beat you, of course
0: you, he he subscribes to the podcast. No, of course a, he does, Javier, right? I'm going
1: to kick your butt That's
0: all smack right. talk. Yeah, right on. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So if people want to connect with you, you're at uh, at maca now on Twitter, and the website's macax.com. Yeah. And you've got a podcast too. Is that just for the members of your no, community no, it's, out on it's, a bit, it it's on a iTunes? It's a bit crass. Right?
1: It's a bit uncensored. We yeah, decided yeah, yeah. that a lot of the podcasts in triathlon that talk about triathlon-specific stuff were very serious. So we, yeah, brought yeah, a, yeah. we brought a flavorable element to it. I
0: know. I've listened to a few of them. I like it, man. <laughs> it's only so. getting
1: better. We've got a few new right. guests coming on.
0: It's called uh, Maca Uncensored, right, yeah. or Maca un- X Uncensored? Macca Uncensored. We're Macca un- totally uncensored, uncensored so yeah. if you're
1: easily offended, don't listen.
0: And it's you and MG, right? Oh, MG is a
1: special beast. He's been around the sport in Australia since <laughs> I can remember, and you got to meet this guy. He's a special beast.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, anywhere else people should go to learn more about what you're doing? thats um, the main places, right?
1: No, you're come on? and join us. Come and join our yeah. team. Come and join the... I'd love to have you on our team. and
0: uh, You guys got the stickers now for the we bikes. We got stickers. I saw yeah, you hit your name. <laughs> yeah, you get
1: your name on your bikes, you get visors, we send you off sunglasses. I, what we've done with the team is tried to engage all my sponsors to make sure we can, you know, I find this sport very expensive. So we thought we'd initiate that team, the macarex.com team. And uh, oh, it's a great. We've got, you know, 500 people on the team. It's a global Amazing. team. So come and join us. Pop past the site, send me an email and ask, and uh, you'll love it. If you don't love it,
0: then leave. We don't hold yeah. you there, so it's uh, it's pretty easy. Right, cool. Yeah. All right, man. Hey, Jonathan, you're gonna take us out with some piano. Oh, this is. We just... got Jonathan Toker here, the oh, he CEO of Salt Stick. He's chomping at the bit to play a little piano. Yeah. You can take us out. Come on, buddy. Play something.
1: I know. There we go. All right. What is that? Can't you play, body? I don't know. Play something modern. Piano man. <laughs> All right, everybody. Cheers. Peace. Plants.